Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to New Hope Church. Oh, hey. Welcome, welcome. Those of you at the 28 campus, the Friendswood campus, the Alvin campus, the Webster campus, the Pearland campus, those of you in Weibo, Montana, and of course, all of you watching online. My name is John, and it is good to be in church today. You guys excited to be in church today? Good, good, good. Well, at the end of the service today, we're actually going to take communion together as a church family, so hopefully you received the communion cup on your way in. If you did not pick one of those up, we'll make sure uh, one of our volunteers will get one of those to you at the end of the service. Uh, If you are new with us today, we are in week three of a lesson series entitled Different. And the reason we chose this title is because as Christians, we are called to be different, not different in a weird kind of way, not an Austin, Texas kind of way, right? We're we're called to be different in a God-honoring way, which means that we have different standards, different values, different desires, different behaviors than the world around us. Consequently, those differences can have positive and or negative effects. For example, those differences can open up the door for us to share our faith, but those differences can also open up the door for others to scrutinize our faith. Either way, we've been called to be different. Now, for this series, we are making our way through the book of First Peter. We are going to pick up today where Pastor Tim left off last week. And so if you got your Bibles uh, or your electronic devices, I want you to go ahead and open them up to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be focused on verses 4 through 10. As you are turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of context for the book of First Peter. First Peter was actually a letter written by the Apostle Peter to several churches located throughout what is now modern day Turkey. Now, these churches were comprised of Jews who converted from Judaism to Christianity, but they were also filled with Gentiles who had recently put their faith in Jesus. Sadly, in many ways, these new churches, these uh, new believers were misunderstood. In, In fact, many people would look upon these churches with great suspicion. So I'm curious, by show of hands, how many of you would be willing to admit at all of our campuses that you've ever been misunderstood in this life? Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, several of you, several of you, myself included. Recently, uh, my family planned a trip to Williamstown, Kentucky. And uh, the reason we're going to Williamstown, Kentucky is because my mother has always wanted to go check out the Ark Encounter. I hear that this is an amazing exhibit. And so we're going to load up. We're going to go out to Williamstown, Kentucky. We're going to check out the ark. But because so many of us are going, I decided to rent a house through Airbnb. Now, I've never done this before, and uh, because it was my first time, I had to create a new account. What I did not know is that Airbnb requires a background check for all new clients. Now, I got nothing to hide, okay? My life is an open book. So I provided all the appropriate information, and then I paid for the rental agreement. Now, to my surprise, a couple of weeks later, uh, I was informed that my account was being closed and my payment was being returned to my bank. And so when I contacted Airbnb to find out what was going on, it turns out that there, there's a problem, and the problem is that I have a criminal record, okay? Okay. 
Apparently, I've done some time in prison in New York, okay? So uh, if anybody's feeling strong, you know, just, I'm just saying. No, now, honestly, uh, I knew this wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right for a couple of reasons. One, I've never been in jail a day in my life. And two, never even been to the state of New York. And so I'm trying to tell them, you got the wrong guy. To which they responded, that's what they all say, sir. They all, they all... <laughs> They all say that. I said, no, no, really, uh, you got the wrong guy. So unfortunately, they ran a second background check, proving my innocence once and for all, and in the end, they apologized for any misunderstanding. Now, uh, that was kind of a small thing in the scope of, of what happens in our lives, right? Like that misunderstanding was kind of a small thing. But when I say that the believers living in the first century were misunderstood, that was an understatement. Uh, At best, many people saw Christians as social outcasts. At worst, many people saw Christians as treasonous heretics. This was true for the Jews and for the Romans. But because Christians were different, because they didn't fit in with the cultural or religious norms, Jesus' followers became easy targets. In fact, they became public enemy number one. The Bible and history tells us that a great persecution broke out against the church, meaning thousands lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost their families. Many were arrested or tortured or worse, put to death in some horrific way. I mean, it was a difficult and a challenging time to be a believer. And as a result, many Christians began to question whether their newfound faith was worth it. For many Christians, uh, there was a strong temptation to just lay low rather than attract too much attention to themselves. And so rather than share their faith, many just chose to hide their faith. Rather than stand out from the world, many just chose to blend in with the world. And so Peter writes this letter to this group of believers, encouraging them not to give up hope. And he does so by reminding them exactly who they are in Christ. In fact, that's the key thought for today's message. I'm going to put it on the screen. When you know who you are, it changes how you live. When you know who you are in Christ, man, it changes how you live in life. You see, knowing who you are in Christ is the difference between living in faith or cowering in fear. Knowing who you are in Christ is the difference between standing your ground or simply going along with the crowd. And this has application for us today because more and more we live in a culture that is skeptical and suspicious of the church. More and more we're living in a world where the church is coming under attack. And even though you and I don't have to worry about physical persecution like these first century Christians did, we do have to decide, am I going to be different or am I going to blend in? And so today, what I want to do is talk to you about who you are in Christ, or who Peter says we are in Christ. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, but this will be point number one. First, in Christ, you are standing on solid ground. In Christ, you are standing on solid ground. And we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verse 4 and verse 6. We're going to actually skip over verse 5. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to read the highlighted words out loud with me. Here we go. It says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
Now, hopefully you get this, but you can't truly know who you are in Christ without first understanding who Jesus is. And in this section, Peter uses two phrases to describe Jesus. Peter calls Jesus the living stone and the cornerstone. Now, both of these are important, so we're going to take a look at each one. We're going to begin with the first one. Peter describes Jesus as the living stone. Now, that phrase actually might not make a lot of sense to many of us in the room because it's a paradox, right? It's an oxymoron. I mean, at any of our campuses, has anybody ever seen a living stone? Even those of you who had a pet rock back in the 70s, right? Like, that pet rock was not living, right? Why? Because rocks are inanimate objects. That's why. So why, why does Peter call Jesus a living stone? Well, the simple answer is because Jesus is alive. And pra- praise God. We don't serve a dead man. Instead, we serve a risen king. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to communicate with his audience, that their God is alive and well. That said, Peter uses the word living three times in the first Two chapters. At the very beginning of chapter one, Peter writes that God has given us a living hope. Then at the end of chapter one, Peter writes that we've been born again through the living word. And then right here in chapter two, Peter refers to Jesus as the living stone. So we've got a living hope, a living word, a living stone. So what in the world is Peter driving at? What message is he trying to get across? Well, remember, Peter is writing to people who are facing death every single day. And because they are facing death every single day, Peter wants them to know that even if they lost their life today, they could still experience life tomorrow. Just as Jesus rose from the grave, God would would raise them up as well. And so they could live each and every day knowing that no matter what happens to them here on earth, that their eternity is secure because Jesus is a living stone. But then Peter goes on to describe Jesus as the corner stone. And right here in this section, Peter's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. And this is a prophetic reference from God about the coming Messiah. What's what's interesting is that in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone. And so Peter's trying to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But, but regardless, the, the people that Peter is writing to, they would have understood this metaphor. They would have understood this metaphor because in ancient times, buildings were primarily constructed from stone, the cornerstone being the most important piece of the construction process. Now, I've, I've never been there, but I wanted to show you a picture of the cornerstone at the temple located in Jerusalem. Peter would have walked past this. He would have seen this stone. This is, this is the cornerstone of the temple. And, and what you need to know is it is a massive, massive stone. Okay, this, this is one big rock right here. It might be kind of hard to tell from the picture, but let me give you the dimensions. This stone is 43 inches tall, which means it comes up to about here on my chest. It is 7 feet 10 inches wide, so it's greater than my wingspan, okay? It's also 39 feet 4 inches long, and it is estimated to weigh like 80 tons. So this is one massive, massive rock, meaning it didn't get there by itself. And, and the reason it didn't get there by itself is because it was intentional, The cornerstone had two really important purposes for any structure. First, it was usually one of the biggest stones, which provided stability for the entire building, but it was also perfectly shaped 
which provided alignment for the entire building. So all of the walls would have built, been built off of these two corners. And if the cornerstone wasn't right, if the cornerstone was out of plumb, then the entire building might lean to the left or lean to the right or worse. It would just fall down altogether. And so when Peter refers to Jesus as the cornerstone, what he's basically saying is that Jesus is the foundation upon which God is building his kingdom. Not a religion, not a government, Jesus, the person. That is who God is choosing to build his kingdom upon. He is the foundation. But I believe that Peter is also communicating something else to you and I. I think that he's also saying that Jesus is the only foundation worth building your life on. And the reason I say that is because Jesus is the only one who's going to bring stability to your life. Jesus is the only one that's going to bring the right direction or alignment to your life. And just to be clear, that's not just true here and now. That's true for all of eternity. Sadly, I think all of us know people who have chosen to build their lives on something other than Jesus. Maybe you, at some point in your life, you were choosing to build your life on something other than Jesus. Whether that be climbing the corporate ladder or trying to get into the best shape of, of your life, or, or, or maybe that would be supporting a political party, or maybe that would just be chasing adventure, trying to live your best life now. And while none of those things are inherently bad, none of those things will provide a solid base for your life. Although none of those things are terrible pursuits, none of those things are the greatest pursuit. More importantly, none of those things can give you eternal life. Jesus is the only foundation worth building your life upon. And here's the deal. You are either going to stand on Jesus or you're going to stumble over Jesus. You're either going to stand on Jesus or you're going to stumble over Jesus. Listen to what Peter writes next in verses 7 and 8. It says, so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, in this section, Peter's actually referring to the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish religious leaders. They actually rejected Jesus. The reason they rejected Jesus is because they did not believe that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And because they rejected him, because they did not believe in him, guess what they did? They killed him. They crucified him. But scripture says that Jesus has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, but it helps to just remember, you're either going to stand on Jesus or you're going to stumble over Jesus. I can uh, illustrate it this way. Uh, in my neighborhood, we have sidewalks. Uh, maybe you have sidewalks in your neighborhood, but uh, over time, our sidewalks, the pieces have shifted, you know, and so some of the edges, they stick up higher than the others. And so when you're walking down the sidewalk, it's possible to catch your foot, possible to, to trip, to stumble, to fall. Now, I, I never have, okay? I've never tripped. I've never stumbled. I've never fallen out there, but I'm guessing somebody has because recently the city came came out, uh, the city came out in order to resolve the issue, okay? And this is, this is how the city decided to resolve the issue. They got some bright green paint, and they painted, they highlighted all of the edges that were sticking up, okay? Now, listen, the green paint is helpful. I mean, if you're walking in the daytime and, and you see the green paint, you're like, oh, look, there's an edge. I don't want to trip over that. And so you walk, walk the, the correct way. But, but if, you're, if you're walking at night, okay, if you're running like early in the morning, and we got a lot of early runners out there, uh, you can't see the green paint, right? You can still trip and fall. And so while the green paint is helpful, 
while the green paint's not a bad idea, it didn't really solve the problem. Uh, that's because the real problem is what? The sidewalk needs to be repaired, right? The sidewalk needs to be fixed. And until somebody does fix the sidewalk, people are going to continue to trip and fall. So what in the world does that have to do with us? And first, Peter, great question. Glad you asked it. Let me try and bring it all together. Spiritually speaking, you and I have a problem. Scripture says that our problem is sin. We've all disobeyed God, and because we've disobeyed God, we all deserve death. But God came up with a solution. His name is Jesus. He is the living stone who was put to death so that we could have a right relationship with God as our sins are forgiven. But here's the deal. Unless you put your faith in him, unless you fix your life on him, unless you surrender to him, the problem of sin is never going to go away. It's like painting a sidewalk with green paint. It's just not going to work. Which leads me to say this, the most important question that any of us can ever answer in our lives would be this right here. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Jesus? And you can't be apathetic about this. You can't be indifferent about this. You can't be neutral on this subject because you're either choosing to believe in Jesus or you're or choosing not to believe in Jesus. You're choosing to accept Jesus or, or you're choosing to reject Jesus. Jesus. And for those who reject Jesus, Jesus is the judgment stone, the rock of offense. But for those who put their faith in him, those who accept him, Jesus is the cornerstone who brings life. So let me ask you something. What is the foundation of your life today? What are you, what are you building your life on? But better question would be this, who who is the foundation of your life? Who are you building your life on? My prayer is, my hope is that you're building your life on Jesus. That does bring us to the second point. Here it is. In Christ, you're being built into a spiritual house. In Christ, you're being built into a spiritual house. And we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick up verse 5 this time. It says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, I want you to take a mental note right here, okay? If you got your Bibles, I want you to underline those two words, spiritual sacrifices. I'm going to come back to it in, in just a minute, but we are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, nowhere in the book of 1 Peter do we find the word church, but when Peter uses the phrase spiritual house, I'm guessing that most of us think about the church, which leads me to a good question. When you hear that word church, what images come to mind? When you think about the church, what pictures pop into your head? If I had to guess, okay, I'm just guessing, I, I, I imagine that most of us in the room are thinking about a building, right? Most of us are thinking about a place that we go to, and, and honestly, uh, uh, most of my life, that's exactly what I thought as well. In fact, growing up, uh, my view of the church was heavily influenced by a nursery rhyme that I learned in Sunday school. It's possible that some of you learned this nursery rhyme as well or learn something similar in Sunday school way back in the day. And so, so this, is, this is what I learned, but it heavily influenced my, my view of church. I, I was taught from a very young age to put my hands together like this and then uh, link my fingers together like that. I was taught my, put my thumbs on, on the front like this. And then, then I was taught to, to recite the following lyrics, not, not going to sing them 
to you, okay? Don't, don't want to embarrass myself. But if you know this nursery rhyme, I just want you to say it out loud with me, okay? So, so, so here it is. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people, all right? Anybody else learn that in Sunday school growing up? Okay, if you've never heard that before, uh, you're welcome, okay? Uh, now you've got, <laughs> you'll, you'll be doing that on the couch all afternoon. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. That, that was my view of church. I always thought the church was just a place that people went, but that's not what Peter describes. Peter uses that phrase, spiritual house, meaning he did not see the church as a physical building. Now, now, it helps to have physical buildings, right? We're, we're certainly thankful for all of our New Hope campuses. Otherwise, it'd be tough for us to meet over at Pastor Tim's house, okay? So we're thankful for all of our buildings. But Peter tells us the church is not made from materials like brick and mortar. Instead, instead P Peter says that our spiritual house is built from living stones. So who are the living stones? The answer to that is we are. We are are God's living stones. In other words, the church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not where we go. The church is who we are. Now, when Peter uses this imagery in his letter, this, this would have been groundbreaking. This would have been revolutionary for his audience. It would have been a new idea. It would have been a new concept, definitely new information. That's because the church was always a place that people went. The church was always a physical building back in the day. Now, now, back then, they didn't call the church the church. They called it the temple. And what's interesting to me is that there are three temples mentioned throughout the Old Testament. I don't have time to get into all the details about each one, but if you want to read about each one, I'm going to give you the reference points. You can write these down and, and do some homework this week. But the first temple, actually mentioned in Exodus chapter 25, it was built under the direction of Moses. Actually, it wasn't not called a temple. It was called the tabernacle. It was more like a portable tent than a permanent building. But that was the first one that was mentioned. Uh, the second one is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 6. It was built under the direction of King Solomon. It was actually destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., which brings us to the last one. That would be Ezra chapter 5. Uh, this is the third temple mentioned. And um, it was built under the direction of a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, that's fun to say, right? Zerubbabel, Nehemiah built the walls. You might be familiar with him. Ezra brought the word, but Zerubbabel rebuilt uh, the temple. It was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because when people thought about the church building, when they thought about the temple, they thought about a holy place. They thought about a sacred place. And the reason it was holy and sacred is because that's where God dwelt. God's presence always resided in the temple, meaning if you wanted access to God, if you wanted to connect with God, guess where you had to go? You had to go to the temple. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter flips the script on all this. Peter writes, those days are over. No longer do you have to go to God's house because you are God's house. Not, not only do you, no longer do you have to go where God's spirit lives because God's spirit lives inside of you. And again, this would have been revolutionary for Peter's audience. Maybe you've heard something like this before, but, but I'm just guessing that even today, many of us have a hard time wrapping our minds around this concept. And so I, I just want to maybe help a little bit with that today. Think of it like this. The same God who created the heavens and the earth with a word, his spirit lives in you. 
The same God who gave victory to David over a God-cursing giant, his spirit lives in you. The same God who calmed the winds and the waves of the sea, his spirit lives in you. The same God who transformed a church persecutor into a church planter, his spirit lives in you. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead, his spirit lives in you. You should be getting excited about that right now because we serve a powerful, powerful God. And it's so amazing to me that God lives inside of us and yet most of us don't realize it. In fact, most of us talk to God like he's somewhere out there someplace. But listen to me, he's close. He's, he's with you. That's why he'll never leave you, abandon you, or forsake you. That means you can talk to him anytime you want. That means you can lean on him anytime you want. That means he's going to equip you and empower you. He's going to give you peace when you need peace. I mean, God is always available because he lives in you. Now, the minute I say that, the minute I say that, I know what some of you are thinking, okay? I know that some of you are thinking this. Now, pastor, if God lives in me, okay, if God lives in me, does that mean I have to go to church anymore? Okay, do I have to go to church? And if you're thinking that, we'll have prayer partners down front as soon as the service is over, okay? But if you're thinking that, yeah, it's a good question, but let me answer it this way, okay? Let me answer it this way. Earlier, I asked you to take a mental note about two words. You remember what those two words were? Spiritual, yes, some of you are paying attention. Great job. Spiritual sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. You see, as living stones, we are God's construction material. And just as Christ is the living stone who gave his life for us, we are called to lay down our lives for others. We are called to be living stones that make a difference and make an impact in this world. And, and here's what I know about stones. One stone can make a little bit of an impact but a lot of stones can make a big impact. I mean, you might be able to build something with one stone, but when you get a whole bunch of stones, you can, you can build something absolutely incredible. You see, when I connect my life with your life, and you connect your life to his life or her life, and when we connect all of our lives to a campus, and when our campus is connected to multiple campuses together, we are becoming God's spiritual house. And Jesus says not even the gates of hell can prevail against us because God is going to use us to do some incredible things in this world. Now, the cool thing is we've got some incredible people in our church, and I don't want to single anybody out, but I, I do want to share some of the living stones that attend and belong to New Hope Church when I think about living stones, I think about a guy named Lowell. Lowell is uh, in a men's group. Uh, he didn't start the group. He doesn't lead the group. But every single week, he sends out two or three text messages just to encourage the guys and to strengthen the guys in their, in their faith journey. Why? Because he's a living stone making a spiritual sacrifice. I also think about a woman named Wilma. Wilma invited a friend of hers uh, to New Hope Church during the movie series. She happened to invite this friend the week that Pastor Tim was using the movie 12 Mighty Orphans to illustrate the Bible. Uh, this friend who came to church, she grew up without a mom or dad, and so she could identify uh, with this movie. She could relate to the idea of being an orphan in this world, and at the end of the message, she gave her life to Christ and was baptized at the 288 campus, which is incredible. Why did that happen? 
because Wilma is a living stone and she's making a spiritual sacrifice of inviting somebody to church. I think about a guy named David, uh, been around New Hope for a long time. Uh, twice a month, twice a month, he serves in the community by giving food to families in need. He does this in Dickinson and Galveston. Twice a month, he's out there serving. Why is he doing that? Because he's a living stone making a spiritual sacrifice. I think about a couple named uh, Katie and Hayden. Uh, they actually are passionate about helping people discover financial freedom in their lives. And so they, they actually teach the Financial Peace University Corner Group over at our Paraland campus. And there are so many families in that class, their lives are being changed because they're getting the right information, all because we've got somebody who said, I'm going to be a living stone. I'm going to make a spiritual sacrifice by getting involved. I'm thinking about a woman named Debbie. Debbie lost a family member years ago and uh, received such incredible care from a hospice team that she decided to change career paths altogether. And now she is working in hospice care. Uh, she's a hospice nurse, nurse helping families during the most difficult season of their life. Why? Because she's a living stone making a spiritual sacrifice. And then I think about a guy named Gordon who hopped in his own RV and drove all the way to Weibo, Montana to encourage people that have been joining us over the last several months. It's just incredible to me uh, to hear all of the things that people in our church are doing. And, and by the way, the list goes on and on and on and on. But God can do some incredible things when we allow ourselves to be built as living stones into his spiritual house. But, but here's the deal. you got to be available. You, you have to be engaged. You have to get out of your seat and get in the game. You have to say, God, I'm a living stone, and you can use me however you want to build your spiritual house so we can make a difference in this world. That does bring us to the final point. Here it is, number three. In Christ, you are being formed into God's special people. In Christ, you're being formed into God's special people. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just say, you're special, okay? Just say that. Feels good to say, doesn't it? Feels good to hear, doesn't it? Or, well, let's, let's jump into our text. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 say this. This just tells us how special we are in God's eyes. But it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When I, when I read this passage, I always think about a, a guy I met in our church years ago. Out, out in the lobby. Um, I'm usually out in the lobby greeting people. I, I'll, if I see somebody I don't know, I'll just walk up and say, hey, how you doing? And, you know, we'll exchange pleasantries and then I'll go to the next person. So I, I walk up to this guy, do the same thing, say, hey, how you doing? And without missing a beat, he just fired back, I am blessed and highly favored. And in my, you know, inside my head, I was thinking, whoa, somebody's in a good mood today, right? Like somebody's having a good day at church today. And so we talked a little bit and said goodbye. And I saw him the next week. I was just thinking, well, I met him last week. I'm going to go say hi again. So I walked over, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm blessed and highly favored. I said, all right, that's two weeks in a row. Okay. Uh, saw him again the third week. Thought, wonder what he's going to say today. Walked up to him, said, hey, how you doing? Guess what he said? I'm blessed and highly favored. You got it exactly right. And honestly, at that point, I was like, man, nobody's this, this, in this good of a mood this many weeks in a row. What, what's going on with this guy? You know, he must be a little bit different. Turns out he is different, isn't he? And every week I would go to him and, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Next week, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Next week I would go to him, I'm how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. You know what I concluded after about a year of that? He's blessed and highly favored. That's what, that's what you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's because he's right. He is. He is. Well, where did he get that idea from? He got it from passages like this one right here. This, this passage tells us exactly who we are in Christ. We are God's own possession. Actually, one translation says we are God's prized possession. And I, I love verse 10 because it tells us how we got there. Check this. It says, once you were not a people. You know what that means? Once you had a past. Once you were far from God, once you were walking in sin and darkness, but now, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. But, but by the way, this is God's plan for every single person on planet earth. Some people, they flip houses. Some people restore old cars. You know what God does? He transforms people. That's what God does. God, God, God takes what was old and he makes it new. God takes what was broken and he makes it whole. God takes what was once in darkness and he brings it into the light. He takes something that was once dead and he makes it alive. That's what God does. And by the way, he's still doing that today. In fact, just this last week, I saw an event at Auburn University. It started with five girls uh, who had a, a prayer meeting. They were praying for students on their campus. That prayer meeting turned into a Bible study with hundreds of students attending. Those students decided we should have a night of worship on our campus. We should invite everybody on campus to a night of praise of our God and Father. And that's what they did. They set it up. They didn't know how many people were going to come. 5,000 people showed up. What's crazy to me is that nobody thought to bring a baptistry, okay? Nobody thought to bring a baptism pool. We're, we're just praising God. We're not going to worry about the invitation. We're receiving a word from God, but, but we're not going to worry about the invitation. But at the end, a girl came forward and said, I got to receive Christ today. I got to go public with my faith today. But of course, they didn't have a baptistry. So you know what they did? The only water available to them was a pond a short distance away. And so all the students walked down to this pond Yep. And when that girl walked into the water, a supernatural move of God began to take place because 200 students that night decided to accept Jesus and go public with their faith. You better believe our God is alive and well and still changing lives today. So how does, how does something like this happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. When you know who you are in Christ, it changes how you live in life. When you know who he is and how much he loves you and how much he cares about you and what his son did for you, man, it just changes everything. And so today as we wrap up our service, what we're going to do is celebrate what Jesus has done for us. At this time, I'm going to invite all of our campuses, and all, uh, all of our campus pastors uh, to, to the stage. They're going to lead us through a time of communion. If, if you didn't get your cup, uh, we'll have volunteers um, uh, walking around the auditorium uh, and, and just get your hand up and, and they'll bring one to you. But uh, this time I'm going to turn it over to uh, all of our campus pastors. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to follow, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.